In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Hallelujah. Um, I want to quickly share with you something very short, um, which means um, Pentecostal short. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm speaking from Psalm 37 verse 4, a very simple verse of scripture in Psalm 37 verse 4. It says, delight, this is the NKJV version, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Passion Translation of the Bible says, make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life and he will provide for you what you desire the most. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Spirit of the living God, we give you the glory. Speak to us in this service. Let there be grass in the field for everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. The context of this verse is King David. David was the king in Israel, and he wrote this Psalm 37 from the beginning to the end. Now, the life of David was demonstrated by this verse 4. He was a man that had a lot of desires in his heart, and he delighted himself in the Lord. And God gave him the desires of his heart. So if anybody qualifies to tell us what it takes to fulfill the desires in our heart, David does. So we can look at this verse and understand that it's a corner piece principle in life on how to go from what is in our heart and bring it into our lives. So when you look at this scripture, I want to share with you three implications of this verse, just from this verse. Three things this verse is saying, and I'm sure these are very simple things that we can quickly look at. Number one, the first thing this verse is saying is that we all have desires in our hearts. No matter where we are in life, no matter our status in life, regardless of our state in life or the season we're in, we all have desires in our hearts. God has put our future in our heart in a place where we cannot miss it. The desires of our heart are the things that unlock our passion and they are consistent with our talents. The things that unlock our passions and are consistent with our gifts and our talents. The desires of our heart are so important that the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 19, Proverbs chapter 13 verse 19, it says, a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. This is the NKJV version. The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. And the corollary is also true. When the desire of the heart is not accomplished, frustration sets in. I pray for you today that every desire that God has put in your heart, you will fulfill them in Jesus' name. The Passion Translation puts puts it this way. It says, when God fulfills your longings, sweetness fills your soul. When God fulfills your longings, Sweetness fills your soul. So our deepest aspirations, our biggest dreams are all locked up in the desires of our heart. 
Our biggest aspirations, our biggest dreams, they're all locked up there. Now, our greatest joy in life comes when we fulfill these desires in our heart. When we fulfill the desires of our heart, we make an impact in life. We make a difference in life. We don't just make a living. Now, when we proceed to discover or awaken the desires in our heart and articulate them, we call them vision. When we pursue that vision, it's the journey. When we pursue that vision, that journey is the journey of destiny. Please listen carefully to me. The desires of that God has put in your heart and in my heart, and everybody, every man, every woman, regardless of their state in life, have desires in their heart. These desires that God has put in our heart, from time to time, he will awaken a section of it. He will awaken a, a, a part of it. And when that part is awakened, we come in contact with what is deep on the inside of us. When we are able to articulate it, we call it vision. We say things like, I have a vision, or have a dream, or have a plan, or I have this new idea or this new passion. But these things are all coming from the desires of our heart. Listen carefully. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. I'm praying for you once again that you will fulfill every desire of your heart in Jesus' name. Now, what is very interesting about this verse, remember this is the first implication, is that we all have desires in our hearts. But what is very interesting is that these desires that we have in our heart cannot be fulfilled by ourselves. These desires that we have in our heart cannot be fulfilled by pursuing the desires. It is counterintuitive. So we have the desires in our heart. God steers up these desires. The natural tendency is to pursue the desires. But God says, no, it is actually the other way around. When God awakens the desires, we pursue God. We delight in God. And when we delight in the God that put the desires there and awaken the desire, then God fulfills his desires. Now, 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 look at this then. So the first implication is that we all have desires in our heart. The second implication, and which is very interesting, of this verse says, God will give you the desires of your heart. That statement is a very, very profound statement. That statement means, number one, that you and I are not strong enough, we're not talented enough, we're not smart enough to fulfill the desires of our heart by ourselves. This is telling you that what is in you is God's size, and it will take God to do what is God's size. Stay with me, stay with me. Only God can bring the desires of your heart and the desires of my heart to pass. So, the accomplishment of these desires or the achievement of these dreams requires the hand of God. Please just listen carefully. It requires the hand of God. The 21st um, century description of the hand of God is the active participation of God in our lives. But the way it's written in the NKJV is the hand of God came upon him. But it basically just means the active participation of God in our lives. And I'm praying for somebody here today that God will actively participate in your life in Jesus' name. So, so what happens then is that when God awakens the desires in our heart, we need him to fulfill what he has put there. When we try to do it ourselves, we meet with frustration. Now, when... God puts these desires in our heart and he awakens the desires. Please listen carefully because I sense that at least one or two people are in this particular place right now. When God stirs up the desires he has put in your heart, 
the very first dominant feeling you have is a feeling of inadequacy. You just feel a sense of, I can't do this. If it's the real desire that God has put in your heart, if God is the one who put it there, the first sense you feel is, I can't do this. This is beyond me. This is too big. How does anybody expect me to do this? That is the first dominant feeling. And when you have that feeling, you are in the right spot. Come on now, somebody. When you feel that way, you're in the right spot. Because you have, that is a critical moment in destiny. When you feel a sense of inadequacy, when you think of your talents and your abilities and your experiences, but when you remember that you are not supposed to pursue the desires on your own, you're supposed to delight in God who will fulfill those desires. Are you still with me now? Come on, church. Are you still with me? All right. So, now let's look at this scripture now. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 to 11. Let's look at it in the Passion Translation of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 to 11. Look at what it says. It says, remember the miracles of long ago. Acknowledge that I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the beginning. I declare from the beginning how it will end and foretell from the start, what has not yet happened? I decree that my purposes will stand. And look at this now. And I will fulfill every plan. I call that bed of prey Cyrus. Swooping in from the east, from a distant land he came. The man of my purpose. I have spoken. Yes, I will bring it to pass. I have formed my plan, and yes, I will do it. This is telling you now that whatever plan God forms, only him can do it. If it is God that formed the plan, if it is God that purposed it, it will be God's size. No man will be able to bring it to pass. So this sense of inadequacy, people deal with this feeling of inadequacy in different ways. Some people deal with this feeling of inadequacy by trying to... Um, Push it down, deny it, that it exists. And some people deal with it by turning that sense of inadequacy into dependency on God. Are you still with me, church? It is when we turn this sense of inadequacy into dependency on God that we see God moving in an unusual way. Now, listen very carefully to this then, which is the third implication of this verse. The connection between the desires of our hearts and the fulfillment is one word in that verse called delight. It says, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. So you and I are in the middle. We have the desires. We have God. Which one should we go for? Should we pursue the desires? Or should we delight in God? And God says, instead of you running after the desires, you run after me. And you see me bring the desires to pass. Listen very carefully. I have had the simple experience of being around Christians for a while. I have noticed something. Many Christians do things out of duty, not out of delight. There is a big difference between dutifully serving God and delightfully serving God. God did not say, dutifully do it and I will give you the desires of your heart. To do something dutifully means to do it without any positive emotion. To do something delightfully means to do it exuding positive emotion, enjoying it while you're doing it. 
I've seen many Christians do things, they do what they're told to do, but they do it, but they're doing it grudgingly. That's why the Bible says, not out of necessity, nor grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful, not just a giver, but also a server. A cheerfulness in what we do. So this cheerfulness is what characterizes delight and not just doing it out of duty. I pray for grace for somebody here today to do whatever you do delightfully in Jesus' name. Now, the interesting thing about delight is this. It's very difficult to delight in somebody you don't know. It's very difficult to delight in somebody you don't know. When you meet somebody in the elevator and you, you ask them, out of court, see, what floor are you going to? They say floor, maybe third floor. Fourth. You just press the button. You're not delightful. You just press it. Because you're near to the place, you just push the button for them, and you don't say a word again. You see, you're doing it out of duty. You did it. You press the button, but not, you're not excited. See? You just do it. But if you are there, you go out, like the first time I went to see my girlfriend, uh, then, at um, in number 18, Banswellis Court in Wembley. <laughs> she was staying on the third floor. Hallelujah. <laughs> when I came out of the taxi that took me there, I sang all the way to the elevator. <laughs> when I got to the elevator and the elevator closed, you know, I looked at it, I looked at everything that was there. Hey, top floor number three, where are you? Where? You know, I was excited. I was, I was excited. I was singing all by myself. Why? Because I was doing it delightfully. <laughs> You see, you see when, we, when, we, when we don't know God, we result into something called guesswork. Many years ago, when my son was three years old, um, we was pick, were picking him up. I will pick him up normally from a daycare and, you know, and then, then, you know, meet with my wife. She's coming back from work. She would take him home and, and all of that. And the boy always wants to take fast food. Each three, of course. Every time we pick him up, he's always asking for McDonald's. Mom, can I have McDonald's, please? Mom, can I have McDonald's? And my wife is always saying no. Every time is no. So there was this particular time. It was around her birthday. So I said to him, I coached him. I said to him, it's your mom's birthday. So when you see your mom, the first thing you should say is, happy birthday, mom. So he was excited. So we got to school. Same day, I mean, same, same, same um, routine. We picked him up. And the first thing, lo and behold, he said to my wife is, happy birthday, mom. She was blown away. She couldn't believe it that he remembered. But he was coached, obviously. <laughs> but he remembered. She, he remembered. He said, oh, come here, come here, darling. Come here, darling. Give me a kiss. So she was blown away. Then the next thing that came out of his mouth is, mom, can I have McDonald's, please? <laughs> and Thompson said, of course, of course, my darling. You can have anything you want. Now, now. So we went straight away. The boy took um, um, nuggets and, you know, um, cheeseburger and Sprite without eyes and all of that. You know, that's what it takes. So he took all of that. And the boy thought something happened to him. He felt, man, this thing works. <laughs> this thing works. <laughs> this thing works. True life story. Following day. <laughs> following day. <laughs> We go back to the school again. The boy looked at following day. The boy looked at the mom and said, "Happy birthday, mom! Can I have McDonald's, please?" <laughs> Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what happens between us and God when we don't know Him. We have tried something one time that works, so we keep pressing the same button, but God is not a robot. 
God is only a robot. So, who is this Lord that we have to delight ourselves in? It's a question that every Christian should genuinely ask God for God to reveal himself. But in the brevity of time we have, also a few minutes, it's very difficult to define who God is. I'm not a theologian, just an ordinary pastor. But I can tell you just quick t- few things that I have stumbled into in studying of the Bible. So let's take it f- this way. Let's look at the first thing God said about himself in the Bible, the first revelation of God in the Bible, the last revelation of, the, of God in the Bible, and something in the middle. The first revelation of God in the Bible is that God is a creator. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Come on now. The earth was without form and darkness was on the surface of the deep. But God spoke, let there be light and there was light. Hear me very carefully. When we human beings think of creation, we think of invention and innovation. But the creation of God is not an invention. Invention means to discover principles that already exist that have not been known, that have been previously unknown. So when Michael Faraday discovered that electrons can move, we talked about discovery of electricity. But when God, when we talk about innovation, we talk about improving what already exists. But God is the only one that actually creates because he calls something out of nothing. God is the one that can call children out of a stone. He can call children out of a dry womb. Come on, somebody. God is the one that creates something out of nothing. Listen to me, my brother and my sister. God does not need a raw material to get to the end product. God does not need a raw material to get to the end product. We talk about Jesus Christ needed five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish to feed 5,000 people. He did not need it. He only wanted to bless that, the people that brought it. That's why he took that from them. Because for 40 years, he supplied manna in the wilderness without five pieces of bread and without two pieces of fish. Your God does not need a raw material to get to the finished product. It's the one that looked at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, and he spoke to the waters and said, let the waters abound with an abundance of fish. That God does not need raw materials to get to the end product. Settle that in your spirit. Number two, quickly. What is it about this God? God is an extraordinary God. I have come to discover something about God. One thing, God can do everything, but one thing God finds it difficult to do is that he cannot meet the measure of our need because intricate in God is extra. Intricate, intrinsic in God is extra. The Bible puts it this way in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far above. Now look at those four superlatives. Exceedingly, abundantly, far and above. What the writer of the book of Ephesians, which is Paul, is trying to tell us is that this God is extra. If you tell God to answer, if God sees an exam and tell him, please, out of these six questions, answer five, God will answer ten. He will answer, you have to think of it this way, he will answer the questions that are still in the mind of the lecturer that he will ask, oh, I love this, I love this, I love this, I love this, I'm going to come here now. Listen to this now. If you ask, if God was sitting on an exam, if you ask him to write, to answer five questions out of six, he will answer ten questions because he will answer the questions not only of this semester, but of the next semester. God is the God that answers questions before they show up. 
It provides answers before they show up. It sorts out the problem before the problem arises. The Bible says before the mountains were brought forth, God was. God is a God of extra. Now look at this now. In the book of John chapter 6 verse 10, verse 11 and verse 12 actually. When Jesus fed 5,000 men, the Bible tells us that every man ate, every person ate as much as they wanted. Not as much as was available. But as much as they wanted. And a part of that crowd, I'm sure, was an, was, were African people. They ate, <laughs> they ate as much as they wanted. Then they now took away in verse 12. African people were in that crowd. No doubt about that. Come on, church. Are you still with me? So we have a God then that is not only a creator that produces end products without raw materials. We also have a God that is an extra God. When he fills the cup, there must be overflow. The way you will know God is in the place is that the cup must spill over. Number three, quickly, let's wrap it up now. What is this about this God? Not only is he a creator, not only is he extraordinary, number three, God has the final say. Please, I want you to listen to me very carefully. In the book of Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, it says, I am he that was, there is, and there is to come. He said, it's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. God, the almighty, he says there. God has the final say. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. Daniel chapter 4, verse 25. Daniel chapter 4, verse 32. It says that God reigns in the affairs of men. But the one I like the most is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 35 to 37. He said, to turn aside the justice due to a man in the face of the Most High, or to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. Who is it that speaks and it comes to pass when God has not commanded? You know, the Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 19, that when Jesus was picked up and put in front of Pilate, Pilate said many things to Jesus, he did not answer. Jesus was silent until... Pilate made a statement and said in verse 10 of John chapter 19, don't you know I have power to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus had to, Jesus had to correct him. And Jesus said, you have no power over me except it was given to you from above. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters. Circumstances may speak in the middle, but God has the final say. In any situation in life, God's generosity, his nature as a generous God, permits him to allow other opinions in the middle of the situation. So the circumstances will speak. Barrenness might speak in the middle. Listen very carefully. Poverty might speak. Poverty, when I was living here in London, poverty at the beginning of my life here, poverty was not only speaking to me, he moved in with me. <laughs> he, was, the thing, he came in and he was living with me. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he was closer to me than my wife was closer to me. Poverty was with me. He was with me. He was with me. But you know, God has... The final say. That is why when you look at a situation in your life today, listen carefully, until God speaks, that's not the final situation. If God has not spoken, that situation is not final. If God has not spoken, that situation is not final. When you look at any situation, the first question you ask yourself as a Christian is, what has God said concerning this? Because until God speaks, that's not the final situation. You know that in every movie, in every movie, the actor doesn't die. The actor doesn't die. They're almost shooting the actor, then at a point, the actor will lose his gun. You can see, this is the way movie runs. The actor will lose his own gun, and we'll be looking at the gun. Then you will see some of the people that are looking for the actor, they're looking for him, they're almost catching him, but they can't catch him. Every person in the cinema is tensed, except the director. 
Because the director saw the movie when the movie was shot. That's what the Bible says. He declares the end. Come on, somebody. From the beginning. Come on. Touch two or three people around you. Tell them God has the final say. God has the final. Oh, tell two more people. God has the final. He has the final say. 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 Barrenness is speaking now. But God has the final say. Poverty is speaking. But God has the final say. Sickness is speaking. But God has the He has the final. If you believe he has the final set, stamp your feet on the ground. Give him a shot. Please take your seat for a minute. God has the final. He has the final set. No matter what is happening right now, no matter what is happening in the United Kingdom, remember God has. He has a final say. So this is the God we are talking about. This is the God that is the creator that produces end products without raw materials. This is the God that is the God of extra. This is the God that has the final say. This is the God that the Bible now says we should delight ourselves in. Question then is, how do we do that as we wrap up? How do we delight ourselves? Let me show you four things. Number one, how do we delight? Number one, we delight ourselves in God by delighting ourselves in his word. Psalm 112 verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. And greatly delights in his commandment. His descendants shall be mighty on the earth. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. We delight ourselves in God, number one, by delighting ourselves in his word. We don't read the Bible as a chore. We don't just read the Bible as a chore. We read the Bible because we're happy reading the Bible. Hallelujah. You know, the, one of the best uh, pictures I have in my mind is... When I first went out to the, went to the house of my, you know, girlfriend. In those days, you know, we used to have these big albums. Today, so everything is electronic. But in those days, we know there was no Facebook and all of that. This was in the middle 90s. And you go, you know, I went to see her in Wembley, in Banswell Scott, where she was staying. And when you get to the house, the first thing they do when they give you a drink is, <laughs> is to give you an album. And, you know, <laughs> come on now, somebody. They give you an album. Now, you know, now I, I figured something out. That when normally albums for men, for men, for men, albums normally, when you go to somebody's house and they give you the album, it's something you look at until they bring the dinner. Oh, I've got to speak to people on this side. You know, it's, it's what you look at, you just quickly say, oh, really, okay, that was your wedding, okay, praise God. <laughs> you move on quickly, yeah, praise God, just when, so when is dinner going to be ready? But when you go to your girlfriend's house, when they give you the album, the album is a tool of discovery. It's a way to want to know more about the person. The Bible is a book to know more about God. That is his album. And the Holy Spirit shows us pictures of God from page to page. From page to page. <laughs> now, okay, 
from page to page. So, 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 so this is what happens. So you go through the album. You delight yourself in the world. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night. You read it, you delight in it. That's the first thing we do. Delight in the world. Number two, what does it mean to delight in the Lord? We've said number one is to delight in his word. Number two is to delight in his presence, in the place of prayer. In his presence. Psalm 42, verse 1 to 3. Psalm 42, verse 1 to 3. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pant my soul for you. So pants my soul for you. So pants my soul for you. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now look at verse 2 now. Verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I want you to notice something in this sentence. It didn't say if. It says when. When you begin to delight in God, prayer is not what you think you should do. Prayer is what you schedule to do. You know, when you're talking to somebody, you say, hey, hello, um, yeah, I'll see you at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. I'll be there tonight. That's what I, was, I say then. 7 p.m. I'll be there tonight. 6 p.m. I'll be there. When I close at work, I'll be there. Why? Because it's a schedule. Because you're looking, you're panting. Now, you know, you know, the way love operates is amazing. You meet with somebody, and you're talking to the person. You're already planning when next you will meet. That's exactly how you should be with God. While you're still in his presence right now, you're already planning again when you will come back and meet him again. I know, I know, I know God is, is omnipresent and we carry him everywhere. But I'm talking of a scheduled time of prayer. I hope this makes sense to somebody. Number three, what does it mean for me to delight in God? Number three, it means to delight in his word, to delight in his presence. But number three, it means to delight in his house. Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now notice the positive feeling. I was glad. He didn't just say I went with them. He didn't say I obeyed. Which, of course, he obeyed. But the emphasis in that verse was on the positive emotion, not the action. He said, I was glad. That was the emotion I felt. Of course, I went with the house of God. But I was glad. I didn't go to church on that particular Sunday grumbling. I didn't go to church on that particular Sunday and say, oh, come on, here we go again. I was glad. My attitude was positive. And this scripture also gives us the indication of service in the kingdom. I was glad when they posted me to a department. I was excited about serving God. One thing I've noticed about God, about the scripture, in my little knowledge, is that the effectiveness of our prayers is tied to the contribution we make in service. In the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 8, Luke chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible talks very quickly. Let me wrap this up now. In Luke chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible talks about Zechariah. He was a priest. Verse 6 and, 6 and 7 tells us he was blameless. There was no problem at all with his righteousness. At that time, obviously, Jesus has not died. But the Bible says in all works of righteousness, he was blameless. You see that? But in verse 8, the Bible says, while he was serving, while he was serving, verse 8, then verse 13 tells us, an angel came and said, your prayer is answered. When was the prayer answered? Verse 8, while he was seven. While he was seven. It's when God sent an angel to him to tell him, your prayer is answered. 
there is a connection between our kingdom service and our prayer. So friends, I want to challenge you once again. It, in the kingdom of God, we should never be spectators. We should always be participators. We must always contribute value to the kingdom of God by serving God delightfully. Can I hear an amen? amen. Finally, how do we delight in God? We delight in God by, in this word, in his presence, in place of prayer, in service, in his house, and number four, in praise. Number four, in praise. And listen carefully as we close now. There is praise and there's praise. Well, somebody said, well, that's an African way of putting it. <laughs> it's like when I was young and my dad calls me. When my dad calls me, Wale is different from Wale. You know that something is the difference. There's a difference. One means I'm pleased with you. The other one means get yourself together. <laughs> now, now, listen carefully to this then as we wrap up. David says in Psalm 34, verse 1 to 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My heart shall make a boast in the Lord. Then he goes on to verse 3 and invited other people. He said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. As a younger Christian, for every Christian definitely, but as a younger Christian, it is easier for us to exercise the type of praise that is gratitude. But as we mature, God will test us with the type of praise that requires sacrifice. Sacrifice is the praise you give to God when things are not working in the place you can see. It doesn't mean things are not working. It just means they are not working in the place you can see. They are working in the dimension you can't see. But they are not yet working in the dimension you can see. In the three-dimensional world, you have not seen anything move. But in the fourth dimension, in the spirit realm, things are moving. But you can't see. But sacrifice or praise, it must make you praise God when you can't see God. And that's for the mature. But God says, David says, I will bless the Lord, come on, at all times. That means when I see it and when I'm yet to see it. As we begin to do this, that means we're delighting ourselves in the Lord. Remember, the Lord we're delighting ourselves in is the one that is the creator. Come on now. Is the one that is the extraordinary God and is the one that has the final Stay. Stand on your feet like a champion. Father, we honor you. Lord, we give you the glory. Lord, we give you the praise. There is no king like you. Thank you for this word this morning. Blessed be your name forevermore. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Please, quickly, it might just be one person here. On the day I came out to give my life, it was on the 8th of June, 1995. A Thursday evening. I will never forget that day. You know, I had made up my mind. <laughs> I had a lot of challenges. I had made up my mind that I was going to give my life on that day. You know, pastor, you know, teases me all the time. And it was very dramatic. <laughs> it was true. It's true. It's true. I had an encounter with God on that day. You know, somebody is here today and is saying, and this is your own encounter. You're saying to yourself, you know, I want to start this journey, but I don't understand the whole thing. I didn't also. Nobody starts and understands the whole journey. We start with faith. That's all God needs from us. He has sent his son to die for us, to create that platform or that bridge for us to reach him. But nobody understands everything at the beginning. What God requires of you is to take the first baby step. 
There is no baby that will be born from the womb and born into a family that will know everything about the family in one day. But the baby has to trust the parent enough to follow them from the hospital back home. <laughs> you have to trust them. You can't say, well, tell me everything about your life before I leave. No, 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 no. You trust them and you follow them home. Amen. <laughs> Somebody is here today. God just wants you to take that one step to trust him. Wherever you are today, you're saying, Pastor, I want to be honest with God. My life is not right right now. I want to just give my life to Christ. Wherever you are, place your hand, one of your hands on your heart. Anywhere you are in this massive auditorium, just place your hand on your heart. Anywhere. Say, Pastor, pray for me. 30 seconds only it's going to take. Pray for me. I want to start a relationship with Christ. You might have been coming to church, but maybe you don't have a relationship with God through Christ. Just place your hand on your heart. Somebody else is there. He's saying, Pastor, you know, I, I said that prayer some weeks ago, some months ago, some years ago, but I've not been living a life consistent with the word of God. Can I pray? Can you pray for me, Pastor, to rededicate my life? Absolutely, I'll be glad to do that. You're here today. You know the Holy Spirit has been touching you. I want to pray for you very quickly. If your hand is on your heart and you're in any one of the two categories, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your decisiveness. God bless you. The very interesting thing that God said, Jesus said in Luke 12, 8 and 9, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That tells you and I that Christianity is personal but not private. It's personal but it's not private. There is a public dimension to the confession we make in Christ. Just for 30 seconds only. If your hand is on your heart, wherever you are, you might be the only person, don't wait for the first person to move. I want to pray for you very quickly. Just tell the person next to you, excuse me, step out here right now. I want to pray with you for 30 seconds only. If your hand is on your heart, come out, come out. I want to pray for you wherever you are. Your hand is on your heart. I want to pray for you. You want to give your life to Christ. You want to rededicate your life. Don't wait for the first person to move. Just move. Just come. Come. Yes. Come. Come. Thank you. Come. Thank you. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Come. 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 God bless you. Church, come on. Let's encourage them. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Come on. Stand there. Come. God bless you. Keep coming. I know somebody is still there. You're still struggling with that decision. Come forward. Come forward. Keep coming. Keep coming. Let's do this quickly. It's going to take only 30 seconds. Somebody is still struggling with that decision. You're still struggling a bit with it. You need to do that. You need to make up your mind and say, no, I'm going to be decisive today. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. Hallelujah. Father, we honor you. Thank you, Jesus. While I'm saying the prayer, if you still want to join us, you can continue. Please say this very simple prayer with me and mean it with all of your heart. Almighty God, I've come to you today. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die for me on the third day he rose from the dead come into my heart lord jesus wipe away my sins give me the grace to live my life in the way that is pleasing to you amen father these ones have come to you lord establish them in your kingdom and give them the grace as they have said to live their lives in a way that completely glorifies you in Jesus mighty name we pray congratulations welcome to the family welcome to the family welcome to the family God bless you can you please just go follow thank you God bless you come on church if you believe God has the final set let me see you jam those winning hands together and give him a been running with that gospel since then till now amazing and so it, it also it also gives us an opportunity to appreciate 
the role Dr. Onuzo has played in our lives. Because that's just an example that could easily be forgotten. That in whatever Wale is doing, uh, how God is using him in Canada, that at the start of it, well, God used Dr. Onuzo to bring him to the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so let's appreciate Dr. Okeo Onuzo, please. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That was a word and a half. Serious. Praise God. Amen. Shola, exactly what you wanted. So I'm set free. <laughs> God, let's appreciate Wally one more time. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. We're going to continue to worship God with our tithes and our offerings. Um, after hearing a message like that, I don't need to add to it. This is an opportunity for us to delight ourselves in God as we give. So let's prepare to do that. And he spoke about positive emotions. And one of them is the kingdom giving is never by compulsion. It's never by manipulation. Uh, we give willingly. That's why it's called the free will offering. And we give with joy in our hearts. That's why the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're a visitor, please don't feel compelled to join what is more than a donation to a charity or a donation in church is an act of worship for us here. And like you joined us to sing, you're welcome to join in this expression of worship uh, as we give our tithes and our offerings. Uh, let's just worship God with our substance. And so, Father, bless every substance that is being brought to you as an act of worship, Heavenly Father. Uh, let the incense of it be pleasing to you, Father, in heaven. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You can join us when you're ready as we worship the King of Glory. Yes, the world will bow down. Every man will bow down and say you are king. So let's start right now. Why would we wait? King of glory, fear this place. I just want to be. I just want to be with you. 